Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Amen. Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you here. Good to have you here worshiping with us online uh, from home. I love this uh, this family setup. Aren't you loving this family worship in the living room and singing together? It's so warm. It's so cozy. We're just trying to, to kind of give you that idea. You know, God is calling you into a family. God's calling you into a family, and you have a place in the family of God. So we had a great start to this series last week. We're going to talk this series about, uh, about John the Baptist, who we're calling the wild cousin. So uh, let's, let's look at John the Baptist, the wild cousin. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 3. I'm going to read to us from verse 1, 1 through 6. And uh, as we open the scriptures here and at home, let's open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your word is not a dead letter, some, some book for us to think about. Your word is what you've carried along through time and through history from, from its inception through its transmission all the way to the way that we receive it today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Use your word to speak to our hearts. We long to hear your voice. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said? Amen. Amen. Luke 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the word of the Lord. We're grateful. Amen. The family of God, the wild cousin. So Joseph and Mary were planning to host the Thanksgiving meal. All right, I was just waiting, just waiting. Let's see if like you're already asleep or... Um, yeah, they're planning. Okay, I know they didn't. Okay, come along with me. So Joseph and Mary are planning to host the Thanksgiving meal. Joseph says to Mary, well, is John coming? <laughs> yes, Joseph. Elizabeth says John is coming. Well, sometimes he says he's coming and he doesn't come. Well, I know that. So we're going to put a plate out for him, and then we're just going to wait and see. But Elizabeth says he's coming. Well, is he going to wear that camel thing again? Because between you and me, that thing is getting a little ripe. <laughs> yes, I think that's what he's going to wear. That's what he likes to wear. And I don't think we should make a big deal out of it. Well, is he going to eat, you know, turkey and mashed potatoes with us? Well, Elizabeth says he's on a new diet. <laughs> locusts. All locusts. 
Locusts, yes, that's all he eats. That's what he likes to eat is locusts. See, he feels great. He's never looked better. He eats locusts. So you're going to have to go out and get some, right? <laughs> locusts at the Thanksgiving meal. There, hey, there's always somebody that's coming to the table who's a little more difficult to welcome than the rest. Isn't that right? There's always a wild cousin, a crazy uncle. You know, I mean, you know who this is. And as the old saying goes, if you don't know who it is, <laughs> look in the mirror. It might be you. But if wild cousin John can come to the table, you know what, church? There's hope for us. There's hope for us. See, that's the good news, that even, even as there's room for wild cousin John at the table in the family of God, there is room for you and for me. It might seem strange to have an Advent uh, series, a, a Christmas sermon on, on John the Baptist. You don't think of John much at the Christmas scene. He's not one of the little plastic figurines that you got out and put in your nativity set, right? Anybody have a John the Baptist in their nativity set? No. But you know what? John does belong. He does play a part in, in the story, the great birth of Jesus. You know what his part was? He was a distant cousin to Jesus. They're the same age. And uh, while John's mother, Elizabeth, was pregnant, Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, came to visit Elizabeth. And while they were together, these, these two uh, boys, while they're still in the womb, they're as yet unborn. They're so excited to be together that their mothers can feel them kind of dancing around in there. Yeah. So John gets to come to Christmas, doesn't he? He gets to come to Christmas. John belongs. But there's another reason to talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet. And it is traditional that uh, we take at least one Sunday every, every Advent season as a church to talk about the prophets. Why? Well, because the prophets, all the Old Testament prophets, the prophets, they painted these pictures of a coming kingdom, of a coming king, and they, they kind of built up this expectation, this thirst that someone was coming, that there is a, a, a kingdom coming where things were going to be set right, where the things that are wrong are going to be put back together, where the things that are unjust are going to be put back in place. There's a king coming. And, and the prophets would just paint these pictures that would just inspire this thirst in us, this Messiah thirst. It's like fistfuls of salt. Every, every time they spoke, we just got thirstier to see the Messiah. And John the Baptist is a prophet. Our pastor is going to make that clear. And so it's right to talk about John the Baptist. There's few leaders in the history of the world who inspired more Messiah thirst than John. Thirsty for the Messiah. So let's start there. John the Baptist is a prophet. Luke wants you to know that without question. What are all these names of rulers at the beginning of this passage? What are all these names doing? You know, never in the history of sermons has a pastor had to read so many complicated names. All right. Oh, some of you were here last week, right? Yeah, that's right. Verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonitis. Sounds like a horrible condition. And, <laughs> and license. <laughs> Never mind. It's a terrible case of Trachonitis. And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. 
during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, all those names. What happened? Read it with me, church. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Why all these names? In the ancient world, there is only one way to mark, to put a time stamp on an event, to date an event that you're worried that other people aren't going to care about and so they're going to forget about. And that's to tie that event to something that people do worry about and so don't forget about the rulers. You always know who's in, in power, don't you? And so in the ancient world, that was the only way to put a time stamp on something. Luke wants to put a time stamp on this, but not just one. He wants to put six time stamps on it, six. He starts with Tiberius Caesar and, and Pontius Pilate. Those are the Roman rulers at the time. Remember that time. And then he goes on to, to uh, Herod and Philip and Lysanias. These are the Jewish rulers that are cooperating with Rome. And then he goes on and says, and it was during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And so that's the religious rulers. He puts six timestamps on this. Why so much emphasis? I want you to know, he says, when this happened. I want you to remember when this happened. Why? Because something profound has occurred. After what we call the intertestamental period that you heard about last week, after 400 years where there were no prophets, where there was no one speaking, thus saith the Lord, where there was no one speaking the word of God to the people, after 400 years of silence, God spoke. God spoke. He spoke to John in the wilderness. And it says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He came in the wilderness. Well, the wilderness, is a, the wilderness is a wild place. That's why they call it the wilderness, right? The wilderness, and the people of God remember what the wilderness is. The wilderness is where they wandered for 40 years as they were coming out of exile in Egypt. The wilderness is where unexpected things happen. The wilderness is where some people who don't fit in find themselves out on the margins. The word of God spoke to John in the wilderness. And it says, the word of God came to him. It came to John, the wild cousin out in the wild places. The word of God came to him. Now, where have you heard that phrase before? That's all these six timestamps. It's all coming down to this phrase, the word of God came. Well, the word of God came to him. Where have you heard that? How about Ezekiel chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 1, Hosea chapter 1, Amos chapter 1, Haggai chapter, anybody want to guess? One. I mean, you could go through all the prophets of the Old Testament, pretty much. And it either says exactly that phrase, the word of God came to, or it says there was a vision, and then the word of God explained what it meant. The word of God came. This is prophet talk, plain and clear. This is how prophets are talked about. Now, the word of God has come to them, and they're going to speak the word of God. Luke wants you to know, John the Baptist, he's a, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. And when the word of God comes changes everything. It's worth a time stamp. I ask you, have you ever had a moment where it just it felt like God was speaking to you? 
Like that song on the radio, suddenly it, just, it wasn't just the song on the radio. It was as if God was, or the, the words that your friend was saying and how they were praying for you. It was like, it wasn't just your friend. It was like, it was like God, are you reading the Bible? And the scripture kind of disappeared in your hands almost. It felt, like, it felt like God, the living God, was trying to say something to you. Have you ever had the word of God come to you? It's worth writing down changes everything. The word John received, John delivered. Look at verse 3. He went out into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is possible. Your life can change. It's okay, he's saying. You can turn around now. Forgiveness is what we need. Eugene Peterson wrote, Forgiveness of sins is what we need. For what is essentially wrong with us is that we've turned our backs on God. Until we deal with our relationship with God, we'll never get anything right. John tells us that we can't help ourselves, but that God will help us. And he will help us by dealing with first things first. He will forgive us. What is John preaching? He's preaching there's a God in heaven and there's a new life possible. Life change is possible. Transformation is possible. Forgiveness is possible. You don't have to carry that weight around forever. There's a new way of life that's opening up and it's coming and it's the life change that we need. He said, here's a baptism. Here's an external sign of something that, that I hope God's gonna do inside of you. A baptism for forgiveness of sins, for repentance, to turn around to the Lord. And it's an external sign of an internal change. But friends, it's the internal change that we truly need. We truly need a transformation from the inside out. How many things do we try to pack on on the outside of our lives, try to add on to our lives to make things better inside? You know, as we descend into the December Christmas shopping frenzy, right? What's on your list? How many things are on the list? And all these things that we want to add to make our lives better. And are they going to work? You know that old saying, uh, wherever you go, what? There you are. Wherever you go, there you are. Well, listen, whatever you buy, whatever you get, whatever you add, there you are. What we need is not things to change out here. We need things to change in here. Genuine life change, a transformation. And John the Baptist is saying, that's what's coming. There's someone coming who can bring that. There's a new life possible, a new direction. It's okay. You can turn around now. John's a prophet. And Luke, he wants you to know that. And in case you didn't get it yet, he links John up with the greatest of prophets, Isaiah. Isaiah, the chief of prophets. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled. And you want me to sing it for you? No, you don't want me to sing it for you. But you start to sing it, don't you? Every valley. Okay. Every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. 
What does a prophet do? A prophet prepares the way. A prophet is a forerunner. A prophet makes things open up to receive possibility, to make the road straight, to, to make it kind of, to smooth it out. Not so that you can get to God, so that God can get to you. How many things do we have propped up in the road in front of us? How many things do we have that, that make it difficult for God to, to bring his presence into our lives, to bring his, 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 his very grace into our lives? We've got things that we're using to, to hold God back. We literally are using things to keep God at bay because we're, somewhere inside we're afraid of what if God really comes at me with all of his love and all that who he is. The prophet says, you get that stuff out of the way. Open your heart. Open your life. Let God come in and do what God wants to do. And he inspires this thirst, this Messiah thirst, this growing thirst. With every word he speaks, I want to see this Jesus. I want to know this Jesus. I want Jesus to come. I, want, I, can't, I can't wait any longer to see the Lord break out, to see the face of my Savior. And then it comes, verse 6. Read this with me, church. And all people will see God's salvation. See, that's John's job. That's his role. To break down stuff that we've built up. To see the purposes of God move in. And did you ever consider, it would take a pretty wild guy to do that wild of a job. John knew his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. He said, the, so right there, follow down the page to verse 16, as he's baptizing in the river Jordan, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. There's somebody else coming. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here's what I want you to get, church. John's identity, he finds his identity in his relationship to Jesus. That's how he knows who he is. That's how he understands how he was wired up. That's how he understands and comes to live into the purpose of his life. He knows who he is in relationship with Jesus Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. And that's who I am, says John the Baptist. You know, sometimes things come along to make us confused to to knock us off track. And, and even for John the Baptist, there's a time in his life when even though he knew himself as that, in that relationship with Jesus, that he struggled to remember it or, or maybe forgot it. It's a time in his life when he was arrested, he was beaten, he was thrown in jail, he's rotting in a cell, just wasting away. And his disciples came to him and they, they told him all the stuff that Jesus was doing. And he heard about all that Jesus was doing out in the world while he was rotting unjustly, locked in this prison cell, suffering abuse and all this. And he wondered. And he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? There's times in our lives where things get so dark and so confusing. There's things that happen to us, happen in the world, that just get us so twisted and upside down that we forget. We forget. What's my relationship to Jesus? What's my purpose? What am I really doing? We're running so fast, running so hard at so many things, but what's the, what's the purpose of it? 
We forget. We lose track. We, throw, we get thrown off base. Eventually, John the Baptist was yanked out of that cell. And if you know his story, he was, he was executed. He was beheaded to satisfy a dancing girl's folly. Life can be hard. Life can be dark. Things happen in this world that we just cannot understand. We can't piece together. And when that happens, we can, we can get thrown back on our heels. We can get pushed into doubt. Who am I? Who am I in relation to Jesus? We forget. But I believe John never forgot. There's a relationship I have with Jesus Christ. My cousin, my distant cousin, he's not just my cousin. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's the Messiah that was promised. He's the one who's bringing the kingdom. He's the one that I saw the dove descend over. He's the one who's connected to all the promises of God. He's the one. He's the one who can bring me and all of us into the family of God. And no matter what happens, even come imprisonment, come abuse, come all kinds of horrible things into my life, there's a relationship that I have with Jesus. And it lasts past the sword. It will never be taken away. But Christ has won my place in the family of God. Amen? Churches, we're studying these figures. We're not just studying interesting figures in the story of Christmas. What I want you understanding and thinking about is their pathway to Jesus. We're studying different tracks, different pathways that all these people find to get to Jesus. And John, he's this very different guy, this very individual guy, this eccentric figure. And he finds this pathway to Jesus. And each of these people, next week we'll talk Joseph and then Mary, and, and we, we saw this great field of stars of genealogy. All these people, they all find this track to Jesus. And what that's teaching us is that there's different ways to get to him, and he draws us down different paths to get to Jesus, to get to Jesus. And if John, wild cousin John, can find his place at the family of God, well, there's hope for you and me. Because there's hardly a one of you in here as wild as John. I don't see anybody wearing camel. I don't know anybody who had locusts for breakfast. Did you have locusts for breakfast? Anybody? Not you. No? Apparently it's a great source of protein. I'm not saying. <laughs> if John can find his way home, so can you and I. You see, you were made unique. You're different from everyone else. God made you, and there's no one else like you, and there never will be. And God loves that. And God loves to love you in that unique relationship. God wants a personal relationship with you as an individual. He wants to make your heart sing in the way that your heart sings. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, Why else were individuals created but that God, loving all infinitely, should love each differently? If all experienced God in the same way and returned Him an identical worship, the song of the church triumphant would have no symphony. It would be like an orchestra in which all the instruments played the same note. <laughs> it's not what God wants. God loves you and relates to you in the way that he has made you. God loves me and relates to me 
in the way that he has made me, in the way that I'm wired up. He knows how to draw me close to him, to, to walk me down a path. Some people call these uh, unique paths spiritual pathways or sacred tracks. And, and just to give you a flavor, we all walk different tracks. Some of us walk an, an intellectual track. You know, I never feel closer to Jesus than when I'm opening that, that next book, when I'm reading that next chapter, when I'm thick in book three of Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. Am I right, Michael? Come on, come on. And Clara say, amen, amen. You know? That intellectual track. Others of us, we walk this relational track. I'm never closer to Jesus than when my relationships are right, my life group is clicking. Some of us, we walk a, a service track. I'm never closer to Jesus than when I'm giving myself away. I've got the towel of service across my, my, my lap. Some of us, we walk a, a worship track. Some, a, a quiet, introverted, contemplative track. There's all these different ways, and all these people that we're studying, they all find their way into a life with Jesus, a love language with God, where you feel his presence most easily, most powerfully, and he can pull you along. Now, I'm not saying that there's many ways uh, to God in the sense of many ways to salvation. What I'm saying is that God in his love, by his spirit, he speaks to each one of us as individuals as he's made us to have us sing a song with him that he made us to sing. You're unique and you don't have to walk the same track of the people to your right, to your left, others that you admire. You've got something that makes your heart sing and draws you into the presence of God and I want you to understand it and know it and see that there's a feasibility of, of you walking that track to get closer to Jesus. And in fact, you might know somebody that you think is maybe outside. They're so wild. They're so outside. You can't imagine their track to Jesus. But there is one, you see. There is one. But it's not that there's all these different ways to salvation. It's that God, by his Holy Spirit, he draws us in all these different paths to Jesus Christ, his son. The one, the way, the truth, the life, the one Savior, the one who draws us into the family of God. John was a prophet. He's out there to rattle things, shake things up. He's the wild cousin, a different guy. Very different. God loves that difference. He loves that difference in you. He loves you as an individual. He's wired you up with a purpose for the glory of the Lord. While all our paths to Jesus are distinct, Jesus himself is the only one way into the family of God. Why? Because Jesus is the one who was put out of the family in order to bring sinners in. Jesus is the one who gave up his place in order to give you yours. Jesus is the one who goes out to draw us home draw us home to the family of God. It's Jesus. It's Jesus and only Jesus about whom we can say verse 6 all people will see God's salvation. All people will see. Not in John. In Jesus. They'll see. All will see all will see. Who doesn't know it's Christmas coming? Who doesn't know of Jesus? Let all see. 
All will see that God's salvation has come in Christ, and some will believe, and each one and every one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your deep and abiding love. It's an absolute marvel that you don't, you don't press us all into some cookie-cutter kind of track of faith. You don't just give us one, one thing and say, hey, dance like this or never dance. But Jesus, you come into our lives loving how you've wired us, loving the gifts you've given us and the history, and, and you step into our lives and you walk with us and you cause us to dance towards you in grace. We thank you so much for that, Jesus. What a miracle it is. We love you. Move our hearts and help us home in your victory, home to the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprescos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.